Our teaching for this morning is going to come from Philippians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 11. This is God's Word. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you can, as we start off this morning, flip open, open to the, uh, the quote earlier in your worship folder, the reflection quote there. We're going to take a look at that here in just a moment. Um, but here's what we're doing right now. We are, uh, we've taken a break from uh, the book of Romans and the book of Genesis, which we've been spending the bulk of this year uh, working through and, and flip, flipping back and forth between. And we're taking the month of September to uh, look at our vision again. In particular, we're looking at our core values this month. And I like to remind us of this, especially if, if uh, you're new. Here's how we think about our vision. Uh, it is intended to answer key questions that are always relevant to us and that we can never stop asking as Christ Church here in Birmingham, particularly in the city. And, and those questions are, are reflected when we look at, if you open up again to the early pages there, you'll see uh, our vision is summarized in one statement. And that statement is intended to answer the question, why are we here? And then if you move down and you look at our core values, what, what are the, those values are intended to answer the question, who are we? What are those characteristics and qualities that define us as a church? And in fact, characteristics and qualities that we would be willing to suffer for. In other words, we're not going to move off of these. These are non-negotiable priorities and commitments and values. And then you move a little bit further down and you see our goals. And those goals are intended to answer the question, how are we going to pursue this vision? What shape will our ministry take? What will it look like? So we're still in the midst of looking at our values this month and who, who are we? And this week we're looking at the core value of gospel community. And what I've been trying to say each week is that the order of those values is not random, but they build on one another, beginning with the gospel. And why is that? Because the gospel is the source of all spiritual good and all spiritual life. It is God's good news of what he has done for sinners. And what is the response to that good news? It is God's people gathering together like this 
to praise his name, to delight in him, to confess sin to, to him, to be renewed and refreshed in what we could never do on our own. And when that good news bubbles out of our worship together, and it bubbles into our lives day to day, that's what the Bible calls gospel community. So we're going to take a look at that theme, that idea today by looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's one of Paul's letters to the church in Philippi. It's the only one we have that he wrote to that church. And what we're going to do in learning, looking at this passage is we're going to try to understand from Paul what is gospel community and how is it possible. Before we look at that, I want you to look at that quote I mentioned earlier on the front of your worship folder. It's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived from 1906 to 1945 in Germany and he was a Lutheran pastor uh, who died on April 9th in 1945 uh, just before World War II came to an end, and he died in a Nazi concentration camp. And he wrote a book called Life Together, and it's a classic work uh, on Christian community. And in it, he writes this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves people will create community wherever they go. And as I was thinking about that, I wanted to put that in front of you because my guess is none of us in here want to be one of those people who destroy community. And I think it would be easy, and and that's speaking for me, it's like, I'm not one of those people. I'm not a community killer. I want to be one of those people that creates community, that loves people. And, And... And I want to just put a peel that onion back a little bit for us. I want us all, for this sermon and this passage, to try to consider how are we community destroyers? How might our dream or our desires or our preferences for Christian community, actually undermine that very thing. And what's most interesting as I was reflecting on this, Bonhoeffer, he had an insight here into actually the story of the New Testament. Because if you look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were very into community. They were very into people understanding the law of God. And being a part of God's covenant people. And what ended up happening was they were ruining people. They were devastating people. They were expecting people to act and live and behave in certain ways in order to have a relationship with God. They were community killers. And Jesus shows up. And he begins to have meals with tax collectors and sinners. The people that nobody wanted to have in their community. What was he doing? He was loving people. And as he did it, what happened? He was creating a whole new community. How do you know, how can we as a local church know 
that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will never, ever be defeated. Well, one of the ways we can know that is because the church, even in 2018, is the result of Jesus loving people. And wherever he goes, with his word and spirit, even today, he creates community. So what I want to do, I've got two points for us this morning. We're going to look at from this passage is, what is the character of gospel community? And then what is the power for gospel community? All right, first, let's look at the character of it. Look with me here in verses 2 through 4. Here, Paul's primary concern in these verses is spiritual oneness. Spiritual fellowship. Listen. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Did you hear all of that? Again and again, just in one verse, what his main hope and desire is, is that the church in, in Philippi would be one. That they would know a deep, lasting, resilient, spiritual oneness. Now, what's implied in that? The implication is Paul is aware that there are frictions, there are tensions among the people of this community. And he doesn't spell out all the details, which actually is helpful because what happens is when Paul says things like this that are kind of general, but nevertheless penetrating, it means it actually matters and applies to us too. That here, when Paul is talking about spiritual oneness, and he hints at that there are frictions and tensions, here's the question for us. The assumption is that there are, there's conflict, there are tensions, perhaps there's distrust, uh, there's resentment throughout this room. And among us in this room. And if we are going to be a church where there is real, true, gospel, spiritual oneness, we need to listen to what Paul has to say here. And why is this spiritual oneness so important? Well, first of all, it's because this message of good news is about reconciliation. It's about God and sinners being restored. And therefore, it stands that if that isn't our experience, or we don't share that dynamic of there is hope and there is healing and there's reconciliation among our community, you know what happens? It begins to tear away at the plausibility of what we say is the good news. For people who perhaps are not Christians and would say, yeah, I'm not a Christian, one of the biggest reasons that they may give is it just seems implausible. Like Christians don't really make much of a case for it by how they live and how they treat one another. So that's the first reason. But then the second reason is because when tensions and frictions and disunity begin to gain a foothold, do you know what happens? We spend all of our time and energy on that. And when that happens, you know who's winning? The evil one is winning. Satan is winning. 
Because we're spending all of our time and energy on our disagreements and our conflicts. And it keeps us from doing the main thing. Of following after Jesus. Of loving one another. And loving the people of this world. And one writer, I think, very helpfully puts it like this. He says, true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion. But the true obstacle is self-centeredness. Paul is not saying uniformity is the key to gospel community. He is not saying that we all have to be brainwashed into thinking the exact same thing, having the exact same opinions, the exact same practices, making the exact same life decisions. What he is saying is, the enemy to true gospel community is self-centeredness. Now that's actually true, not just of the church, but think about your own home. Perhaps your own marriage. Relationships with your children. Uh, kids, relationships with your parents. Relationships with your friends. This goes into every nook and cranny of our lives. So at first, the character of gospel, gospel community is the spiritual oneness. But then Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4 here to talk about the key to this oneness. And in a word, he tells us it's humility. Listen to what he says here. Verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, In order for this to work, we have to take a deep, long look at ourselves. Here Paul is telling us that the key to spiritual oneness means that you have a self-awareness or a self-understanding that can deconstruct your self-centeredness. And here's the problem. We are allergic to that. And in fact, we are incapable of it. One of the the essential ingredients of what it means to be a sinner, a fallen human being, not just that you do bad things every now and then, but that you do those things because there is something fundamentally out of line and out of whack in the very depths of your being, it's self-centeredness. So here's the key question that we have to ask is what value do you place on other people? So when Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That language, count others. How do you regard them? What value do you put on other people? That is the key question. And again, one writer put it like this, that the secret to this genuine gospel community is that members, its members count each other more significant than themselves. Now, what's the alternative to that? Well, Paul tells us, selfish ambition and conceit. 
Now, what might that look like in your life? Here's how it might look in your life. Selfish ambition might be, I deserve better. Those moments in your life when bubbling up is, you know, I don't deserve this. I work hard. I try hard. I deserve better than what these people are doing to me or how they're treating to me. Or take pride. I know better. I know better. I don't need to listen. I don't need to be changed from the inside out. The alternative to considering others more significant than ourselves is those two impulses of I know better and I deserve better. Now how then does Paul lead us into considering others as more significant than ourselves? Look in verse 4. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. There is a profound balance here. Paul does not say, you don't matter at all. You are only to look to the interests of others. He says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is almost identical uh, line of thought to what Jesus said when he says, love your neighbors as yourself. And I also want you to notice, this is really kind of, this is a wisdom statement. Jesus here is not giving you a, a list of what it looks like in every moment and every detail to consider others' interests in addition to your own. And why is that? Because this is a matter of the heart. This draws out what is it you most want? What do you most value? And the hard question is, will you allow those things that you value to run over the people in your life? And the hard thing about it is, we are ingenious at trying to do the same, both of those at the same time. And call it loving other people. How do we do this? Looking beyond my own needs and priorities to the needs and opinions and interests of others. Now, so that's spiritual oneness. The first aspect here. Paul's main priority. How, what is that? What's the key to that? It's humility. And notice in, Paul, in, in verse 5, after laying that out, Paul then calls us to this kind of community. When he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, the call of gospel community is simply to cultivate the mind of Christ in your life and in our common life together. One writer puts it like this, summarizing what uh, Paul means here in verse 5. It's, he says, what, what Paul says here is to develop this mindset this is a mindset in your fellowship, in your community, which is the only consistent mindset for those who are in Christ. 
the way I would summarize this is Paul is talking about what we've, we've talked here at Red Mountain about in different situations, a ministry mindset. A ministry mindset. Think of it as a set of lenses that you would put on through which you begin to look at your entire life. That this mindset or this perspective is counting others more significant, looking to the interests of others. That is the essence of gospel community. Now, here's a problem, though. Uh, My guess is that what I have just laid out from what Paul has said here, you might be having this response. I can barely handle what's in right in front of me. I can barely make it through the day at my job. I can barely make it through the day relating to my spouse. I can barely make it through the day without losing my mind with my kids. I can barely make it through the day dealing with my parents or a friend who has deeply hurt me. And you might be thinking, I don't think I can do this. How am I supposed to do this? This is beyond me to do. And I'll just tell you, create space for you. I feel this way. To be transparent with you, I'm a pastor of this congregation. When I wake up on Monday morning, which is my day off, I'm, I often find myself, I have no idea how to put the interests of these people before my own. And I'm not complaining. Do you understand that? I tell you that because you're supposed to feel that way. If you feel like what Paul is calling us to do here is beyond you to do, you're actually paying attention. You can't do this. If you think you can, by all means, knock yourself out trying. I would love to talk to you in a couple weeks. You'll probably come talk to me in a couple days. This is not something we can do. Which brings us to the power for gospel community. Look here in verse 1. Here is the foundation for what Paul is calling us to. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, have this mind. Do these things. See, what Paul is telling us, he is listing here in very general terms the privileges of grace. This is where he begins. Paul is not saying, all right, Philippians, get your act together, be the kind of community you're supposed to be in order that God will bless you. He is saying, because these things are true, If these are already true of you, since they are already true, therefore, live out of these privileges. Use these privileges. Own these privileges. So quickly, what are some of these? He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is Paul's favorite label of what a Christian is. 
far more than any other description, Paul's definition of a Christian is a person who is in Christ. Now, there's a ton we could say about that, but essentially what that means is to be in Christ means you share in all of his blessings. All that is true of him is true of you. And he now lives to pour out those blessings into your life by his spirit. So if you have tasted even that a little bit, just a touch, or comfort from love, there's debate among commentators, whose love is he talking about? Well, let's look at some of the options. One of them is Christ's love. Have you ever tasted the love of Jesus? Have you ever experienced a sense of peace and forgiveness and freedom? Or have you, take it in in the community of believers, have you ever had someone love you? Have you ever had somebody who's made you feel like they are shouldering my burdens and they are with me? Or what about participation in the Spirit? Here is the idea that Jesus is not just somewhere far off and distant, but the Spirit, like Matt was saying earlier, the primary role of the Spirit is to point you to Jesus. And the primary role of the Spirit for Jesus is to bring his very life into your life. Paul calls elsewhere that the Spirit's job is bringing Jesus Christ into your heart and giving you the hope of glory. But what about affection and sympathy? Look at this from Jesus' perspective. Borrowing from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus doesn't break a bruised reed. And he never snuffs out a smoldering wick. He's gentle. He's tender. Have you had any taste of that? If you have, here is what you need to pursue. Those are the resources, the privileges of grace. And he goes on and talks about not just the privileges, but then beginning in verse 6, through the end of this passage, we might call it the pattern of gospel community. And he talks about here in verse 6 to 8 what we would call the humility of Jesus. Notice what Paul does. He says, describing Jesus, he says he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In short, Paul saying Jesus is God. This is a claim to his deity. And yet, what do we see him doing? Verse 7, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Verse 8, he humbled himself. What What Paul here is saying is that Jesus gave up all of his rights and all of his privileges to be born into this world, to take on your humanity, to consider your interests is more important than his own. Now, think of it like this. Jesus refused to act selfishly. And I think that's so interesting. 
Would Jesus have been selfish to not come to earth and take on our interests and needs? That's an interesting question. Regardless of what you do with that, he came. He didn't hold on to the very things he had a right to. So what does it mean for us when Jesus and his humility begins to break into your life, we begin to let go of rights and privileges that are rightly yours. There's no necessarily demand that you have to do that, but to follow Jesus means we begin to lay those aside for the interests of others. And Paul even goes further in verse 8 when he says that he was obedient to the point of death. See, this is why what Paul is saying here is not just good advice. You can't read this and just apply the the idea that is often common in our current cultural moment. I guess it's somewhat dated now. What would Jesus do? This isn't just go be like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came to die for people who can't be like him. That's why he was obedient to the point of death. Because we don't need just good advice. We need forgiveness. And we actually need more than just forgiveness. We need his power. Not only what did Jesus do here in this, the pattern of, of gospel community that Paul gives us. Notice in verses 9 through 11, he tells us what, who Jesus was declared to be. Jesus didn't come, just come to suffer and die as a tragic figure, which is really a hopeless story. Because what it means is, if you try to love this way, it only will ever end in disaster. But the exaltation, the resurrection of Jesus, God the Father exalting him to his right hand, giving him a name above every name, means no matter how trying, no matter how hard, no matter how painful it is to consider others as more important than yourself, that is the path to life. And that is totally counterintuitive to everything in our world, particularly in the West and particularly in the United States. What what Paul is saying, the exaltation of Jesus is your promise and guarantee that however weakly and failingly you, you endeavor to live by faith as you're called to in this passage, there is hope. There is one who has gone before us. And that is really good news. Now, here is what I want you to think about When you look at the pattern of Jesus, when Paul says, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ, what is the one question that we need to be asking ourselves? You know, earlier I said, what value do you place on other people? The real question we need to ask is, what do you make of Jesus? For gospel community to flourish and thrive, as Paul describes here, The one question we have to ask every day is, what do you make of Jesus? 
which is implied when, at the end of this passage when Paul says that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Savior, that he is the only good and wise God. What do you make of Jesus? So here's where I want to I finish with you. Where do you fit, now that we've looked at this, in that quote by Bonhoeffer? Where do you fit, honestly? Are you more in love with the idea of community? Or are you more in love with people? What do you long for most? Or another way to put it is, where do you see the grace and power of Jesus leading you to love people and finding him creating community wherever you go? Or where do you see him teasing out, however mercifully, gently, wisely he does, that really one of our biggest struggles is not that some people are hard to love, it's that I want things to go a certain way and you're getting in the way of it. Are you overwhelmed by this passage? Well, I will tell you that I am. And I think you should be too. And here's why. To be overwhelmed is actually consistent with what it means to live by faith. Why? Because Jesus was overwhelmed to the point of death, spending his life in love for others. So what do you do? Remember where I said, Paul begins this passage with listing these privileges of grace. That's where we have to live. That's where we have to turn. We don't turn inward. We don't even turn outward to one another. Hey, what's our best ideas and strategies? No, we have to turn to Jesus and the privileges he freely gives. And here's what I want us to do. Spend those privileges on one another. You have an infinite wealth, a bottomless account of wealth, of privileges. And our task is to help each other spend those privileges lavishly and richly and fully on one another. That's what gospel community is all about. Let's pray together. And Jesus, Father, we ask that you would please help us as we reflect on this passage and, and take it in and wrestle with what's being taught here and what we're being called to. But even more than that, I pray that the calling of this passage would cause us to turn to Jesus in whom we have the grace and the resources and the wisdom and the help and the forgiveness to have this kind of mindset this ministry mindset that our Savior, our great shepherd, perfectly carried out in order that we might be created and made into a new family, a new community that is shaped and, and infused with the love of Jesus. Father, would you please do that? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.